Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Welcome to Face Connecticut, an in-depth look at today's issues. Good morning and welcome to Face Connecticut, everybody. I'm Morgan Cunningham on WTIC News Talk 1080, Light 100.5 WRCH and 96.5 TIC. Our guest this week on Face Connecticut is Dr. Verna Ruffin, superintendent of Waterbury Public Schools. We're going to be talking about the ongoing issue of the recent threats at Waterbury Public Schools and how that district is dealing with that challenge and addressing safety and security concerns and much more as well. Dr. Ruffin, good morning and welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Glad to have you on the program this week. Could you start off with a summary of the recent threats and the weapons incidents to this point within your school district? Over the last um, several weeks, we've received... um, two um, alerts that caused the school uh, concern and they were either placed into a lockdown or shelter in place um, for allegations that someone may have brought a weapon into the school. And um, that, of course, makes everyone very concerned and immediate alerts to not only law enforcement, but also some inside procedures to assure the safety of everyone inside the building. So we are very concerned about that. We see that um, uh, affecting, of course, the people here in Waterbury, but we're also paying attention to what's happening nationally with similar types of alerts. What's the process currently when a threat is made at a school within your district in Waterbury? Immediately, it calls for securing the inside of the school, the safety of the people within the school. Um, And so, for an example, in in a lockdown, there's some security measures that immediately go into place um, that's taken care of internally for the students and all of the staff. Uh, There is um, no movement in terms of no one can enter or exit the building at that point. Uh, And it is taken into um, high, high, high um, uh, importance that people uh, collectively will be in a safe place and that the police are also notified immediately. That's a part of what immediately occurs when there is a lockdown at a school. There are different levels of lockdowns, aren't there? There's shelter in place, there's the actual lockdown itself. Is there a difference? Yes, um, there is a difference. Um, so, for instance, in in a, a, a lockdown, that's the highest alert that anyone can have at a school level. And it doesn't mean that there is something in, in the building. It means that there is something that we're seeking to determine whether it is in the building. And it's taken very seriously. So we act as if it really is, whether it is or not. Um, you know, it may require that there's a search. It may require that, there, you know, there are other procedures that we handle uh, collectively with the police department. And there is absolutely no entry or exit of that building by anyone. Um, in, a, in a shelter in place, it could be something external. You know, it could be um, uh, cars that are speeding in the area. It could be the report uh, of maybe there's some possible gunshot 
uh, in the community. It could be um, a wild animal. Uh, you know, it could be anything that may possess some kind of a threat on the outside, but it's not on the inside. There's some movement that's allowed within the building, but there's no entry and exit at that point either. How are your colleagues to prepared to deal with any of the threats that come into the school? Because there are so many different ways that we're hearing about in the news side of things, these threats getting into schools, whether it's through email, social media, uh, maybe even a phone call. So how does the staff stay up on all of these different levels of communication to receive a threat and therefore report it? Um, there are several ways that we can receive if someone is concerned about a threat. Someone can call directly to the school and, and you know, speak with the principal or someone and, uh, that they are trusting in that building that they want to know about that and that immediately becomes an alert for us. Uh, we have a, 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 an app, uh, Say Something, uh, See Something, Say Something, that is absolutely free to our, our students and they can report something anonymously or they could just report it uh, as, at any time, day or night, that they would want to cause an alert or have someone be aware. Uh, we also, because um, you ask, how does one become aware of that? Um, the internal procedures for every single school is specific to that school. And so in an area where we have an alert and it, it is a lockdown, that's a standard procedure. Um, there, there are no deviations from that. We learn from that every time that there is one. Um, and when I say we learn from it, is because lately um, the the speed of social media will always be faster uh, on the inside, uh, whether it's the right information or the wrong information. So we have developed some procedures to send out the accurate information. So people, while they are always nervous in the situation with a lockdown, at least you can get the accurate information and not some of the misinformation that we oftentimes see that comes out first on social media. So social media is something that we are battling with. I'm glad you brought up social media because it is something I wanted to talk with you about on Face Connecticut. Our guest this week, Dr. Verna Ruffin, Superintendent, Waterbury Public Schools. You have that app, Parent Square, which communicates information between the administration and the schools and parents. Um, and I'm sure that there are other portals and means of communication with staff or also with teachers. So how are you guys currently combating social media with use of apps like Parent Square and communication portals that are, in fact, official? We send out the Parent Square, whether it's relative to a specific school uh, or if it's relative to a specific school, but maybe everybody needs to know that information. And we're still really grappling with that because um, something that may be specific to one school may cause an alarm or alert in the other one. So to communicate that in real time, um, to inform people of the accurate information, that for Waterbury Public Schools is an important platform. We also have... Uh, collaborative with the police department and our team here in the district to look at other ways that we may be able to come ahead of some of the social media misinformation. And uh, we want to always direct people to, while it is a disconcerting time, yes, people are nervous during that time, please always refer to Parent Square for accurate information. We've put in a few other measures for communication internally. You know, people sometimes like to talk to other people within the district. So we want to make certain that the employee groups 
are, are keeping informed of what is happening so they can also be a part of uh, helping people to get the right information because sometimes people do get nervous during that time. Dr. Ruffin, I'm curious what your role is when there is a threat that's being investigated because there are multiple layers of administration, superintendent, principals, assistant superintendents, uh, or rather assistant principals. And so when you learn that there's a threat in one of your schools, are you communicating with the principals of those particular schools? Are you communicating with police as well and trying to direct what information can go out on, say, Parent Square? What's your role in all of that? I want to be involved on every single level of it, but I also understand and want to intentionally not get in the way of providing the safest environment very quickly. So the level that is closest to the students, the teachers, the staff, all staff in, in that building um, deserves uh, someone who's not interfering with the process that they're going through. So, for example, I am not making a lot of phone calls expecting a lot of people to communicate with me because my expectation is that the people inside that building need to be safe, not talking on the phone with me. Um, and, and so I'm respectful of that. Um, but I'm aware of what's happening within that school. I'm aware of it either through the collaboration with the police and, and uh, in collaboration with my director of security. And, and that's where I may be communicating most often with, while the people who are actually implementing that shelter in place or that lockdown are able to give that full attention to the safety of the people inside the building. Is, uh, my director of communications is uh, also right alongside me uh, sending out the important updates. And we've recently met to make certain that those updates go out even more frequently. Is there perhaps a concern among parents if they're not receiving information, but yet you guys also don't know the information? Is that perhaps why they're moving over to social media? Because they want quicker answers than maybe answers are available? I'm not sure there's just one response to that question, um, because sometimes I've found and we have found that, the, um, that people are more uh, apt to go to a social media app with the misinformation uh, than they are to Parent Square. Or sometimes someone will respond to the misinformation and say, no, that's absolutely not true. This is the accurate information. But you know that when misinformation is spread out there, that people respond to it sometimes faster than the, the accurate information. And it takes a long time to dispel a rumor um, than, than it is to just know the facts. Um, uh, I think that that hurts us, in, especially when you're trying to secure uh, everyone's safety. Um, and I believe that sometimes people respond out of fear, just the unknown, and they just go anywhere to find some information. And I just send out a caution for that because that could place some unnecessary duress during a time that we're all concern about the safety of everyone. I remember after one of the most recent incidents and investigations that happened at Crosby High School, there were a lot of parents that were lined up in vehicles parked outside of the school, and um, police had reported that there were two parents arrested because they either tried to get into the school or they wanted to get into the school or did get into the school. What led up to that whole problem and incident, and what can you share with us about that? 
That is an incident that has caused all of us to go back to the drawing board and to examine all of the practices. Um, and we learned from it, and we also learned some things that, um, that caused some safety hazards much, much, much more seriously than the original cause for going into the lockdown in the first place. Um, that lockdown occurred because of the allegation that someone had brought a weapon to school, and rightfully so, it was um, it, it was a um, uh, a lockdown procedure that we went into. But there was also something that appeared on social media that people were receiving and did receive even before we did uh, on the part of the district, which made some false uh, false allegations, and people responded to that. Um, they became very fearful. And I could understand where, where they would be fearful, but the information that they were responding to was totally false. And it caused some alarm, both inside and outside of the school. You know, people believed that, you know, there was this tragedy that had occurred inside the school, which did not happen. Uh, and out of fear, uh, there were people that did come to the school. You know, they blocked the entryway to the school, which would have prohibited any kind of emergency vehicle to come to the to the school if in fact we had a, a, a serious emergency occurring within um, it did it it did um, cause some problems with people entering the school they should never have done that um, and and while that is still something that is within the investigation of the police department no one should have entered that school and the people who entered that school did so um, without authorization and without that door being, uh, no one allowed that to happen. That happened because it was breached. What are some of the ways that the school district is going to the drawing board currently and trying to figure out, okay, how do we prevent this from happening again if there's more confusion, if there's more um, upset parents for a threat down the line? Well, the, the evening that this occurred, um, you know, I, I felt compelled to notify anyone who wanted to listen about what had happened uh, during that day. So there was a video that was created. I think it was posted around 9 p.m. that evening. Uh, it was viewed by, by a lot of people because I did want people to understand that the false information led to some fear that there was no way that we could have controlled that externally because people were really responding to something that was just not true. Um, but in addition to that, we also wanted to assure parents that we were, um, how we were going to respond by conducting a community forum, which was held the following Monday. And we wanted people to know, and I wanted to listen to what people were going to ask and what they were feeling at that time, because it was important. Um, and what we learned is that more frequent communication, even when we don't know all of the information, is probably something that will assist parents, especially parents who don't live very close to the school, parents who want to know that this lockdown is going to be um, a safety measure and not just a response to someone being hurt, and they want to hear more uh, regularly. Um, so we've put in some practices to notify people on a continuum, even if the information is we don't know any more at this time, so the status is we're still in a lockdown. We will keep you posted. I think people know that there's someone consciously being um, communicating with them. I think that's important. And that at times with a lockdown, that's all you can do at that moment.
What other concerns came up from parents during that safety and security meeting, Dr. Ruffin? Well, there, there was a lot of concern about what else are you going to do? Um, you know, are, are you going to have metal detectors? Uh, are you, um, you know, how can, how can this be prevented from happening in the future? Um, you know, we want to know what some of the other measures are. And what, what I've been very clear on is that every single school has a security plan that is unique to their particular school. And there are some things that because of safety and security, I cannot divulge publicly. Uh, it, it, would, it would not be um, fair to the school and to the bodies that are keeping everyone safe internally to be able to share every single thing that we're doing publicly because then it no longer becomes a safety plan. Um, but those were some of the concerns, very, very much, um, you know, anywhere from, uh, as I mentioned, you know, what are you, are you going to look into other measures? That always comes up in conversations that you have. Metal detectors, is that a possibility? I don't know that there's anything that's an impossibility, but it is not something that we have pursued at this time. And, um, you know, as I've mentioned, some of the other precautions that we've taken in place, Sometimes when there is a threat to a school or potential threat from school, it's not always something that could be detected from a metal detector. You know, anywhere from assuring that doors are secure. And when I say doors are secure, I, I, I don't mean just that, you, you know, you've closed the door, but then make sure that people are not opening a door and propping it open so that someone could come in um, later on. You know, you prop a door because you went to your car and you want to keep the door just uh, a jar so that you can come back in without having to um, you know, walk so far as to go back to the front entrance. Um, there are some other things that I believe would be critically important to assuring that we have the safety of everyone inside of school besides just talking about that one factor, which is important. It was important to people. Um, so we're not dismissing it. It's just not something that we have pursued at this time. Is there more education that be, could be done, whether it's in schools or whether parents try to talk to their kids about, number one, what all of these threats mean, the problem with all of the threats, and also the dangers of obviously bringing a weapon to school, which is not allowed? Is there more education that could be done to help the students understand even how to detect a threat and report one? We definitely, uh, on every occasion that we get, uh, most recently was a couple of months ago when we talked about all of the different security measures that we do have in place, you know, how to report, how to report anonymously, um, you know, social workers that go out into the community and work with the police if there's a traumatic experience that families um, would experience late hours, after hours, that may affect our children within the school. Uh, we definitely want, want people to be aware of that and, and to take advantage of all of those opportunities to interact with the person in real time to report anything that they believe we need to know to secure the safety of everyone. But I, I think one of the things that I would want everyone to understand is that this is not a one-size-fits-all you know, major concern across the world. Um, and how do we navigate that is with everybody doing their very best to communicate, to not wait to report something. But this is also a national issue. I mean, it's, it's, it's worldwide issue because we're hearing things that we've never heard before. I've never experienced some of the things that the that we're experiencing today, you know, where you can go out to a shopping mall 
or you know you could be in a movie theater or you could be in a church or a synagogue or you could be in an emergency room in a hospital and there are things that are happening that are inexplicable and so a, a, a sense of awareness you know uh, that that we should all have um, that that is at a higher level than I've ever seen it in, in my entire life that I think we all should be aware of that uh, that parents would have a conversation with their children uh, about, you know, about safety and about their surroundings, that parents should check book bags to make certain that there's not paraphernalia, uh, paraphernalia in a book bag that would be inappropriate to bring into a school. I think there are a lot of things that should happen at the, at the home level and, and the community level that we've never had to think that way before that we should think about now. Chief Spagnolo in Waterbury had mentioned to me that at least once a week, the two of you are meeting, Dr. Ruffin, Waterbury Public Schools Superintendent, among what are some of the things that you guys are discussing that you can divulge publicly to make sure that the school response and the police response at the schools is as good and as secure as it can possibly be? Well, we do communicate regularly. I, I, I don't know whether other police departments and school districts communicate as much as Steve, uh, Chief Spagnolo and I do, but we communicate quite often. And, um, and so we talk about the um, deployment of the memorandum of understanding we have with the police department. We talk about individual school safety. We talk about any arrest data that we may or may not have. Uh, we talk about some of the mediations that occur. Uh, we talk about anything that we need to share within our communities that schools need to know about, that the police department needs to know about, and that we could collaborate on maybe bringing in um, additional resources to the schools if we need to. And when I say additional resources to the schools, that could range anywhere from, uh, you know, guest speakers, and that could mean anywhere from the interaction that we want our students to be able to have uh, with uh, with law enforcement to learn more about what they do and what they don't do, and um, and, and we have frequent communications relative to uh, overall school safety uh, as it pertains to Waterbury uh, and and the community as well as the school. Dr. Ruffin, one of my last questions because there's so much we could talk about, um, but we are running low on time. Just a few minutes left. And I'm curious, do you ever collaborate and discuss this issue with other school districts? Maybe they're cities of a similar size or scale like Hartford, or maybe they're smaller school districts, but are you in touch with other administrations about the issue of threats and weapons in schools? Uh, we've not had a collective to discuss it, um, but we all do have several meetings with our superintendents' organizations. All of us do, I and mean, we attend regularly. Uh, we also have collaborations collaborative meetings as an alliance school district, of which Waterbury is a part of, or the Connecticut Association of Urban School Superintendents. So we have lots of meetings and collaboration. We're all concerned about the same things statewide, um, but we've not had a particular forum where we've only discussed the, especially over the last couple of months, all of the different incidences that we have all seen uh, across many districts in Connecticut, we've not had a roundtable around that yet. Do you think that would help? It possibly could. Um, uh, it possibly could. You know, as superintendents, oftentimes what you find yourself dealing with is you have a lot of things that you have to deal with on the moment. 
right then and there. Uh, and so the likelihood that you would collaborate with other people who are experiencing the same type thing with you and don't have necessarily have a different solution than you do, um, it, it, it's, it's, probably, um, it's probably not something that would benefit us unless we can bring a different type of solution to the table. Dr. Ruffin, I really appreciate your time this morning on Face Connecticut. We'll have to do another update down the line. Is there anything else you'd like to add that maybe we didn't touch on? No, I, I appreciate your asking the questions, and, and it's been um, good. I hope that, you know, uh, we could do this again. Face Connecticut is a production of the News and Public Affairs Department of WTIC Radio. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.